back, everyone. This is Green and Gold Rugby Podcast, episode 222. That is 222, and that's pertinent for a number of reasons. Just three points shy of the total number of points scored in Australian teams this weekend of Super Rugby. And also, if you say it really slow, it just sounds like the funeral dirge. Do, 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 do. Just a dire weekend for Australian rugby. But we're here, we're backed up for you guys, just like we did through the test weekend, test series, Green and Gold Rugby is here, and guys, I've got Matt and Hugh with me, it is a terrible weekend, a disaster, right? But how bad was it, Matt? What? How bad was this weekend of Australian rugby? Uh, mate, look, we are becoming resilient, aren't we? We're kind of, um, we're getting used to, like, horrific scenes, um, probably going to come down with PTSD some <laughs> um in the coming years, when it really sinks in. Um, look, it was, it was so bad I just couldn't watch all of it. Like, you know, you look at a scoreline, like, you, you know, f- from what some of those things, I think we were just talking before then, um, not all of us have seen it, all the games. I'm not sure anyone should. Um, but uh, I, there's any way you can deal with it, I think, is I don't think you can take it all in. Uh, h- horrendous. Um, so let's rank him. You know, we talk about disasters and, and you know, there's a bit happening in sport at the moment. And I, and I try to give us a bit of a scale here in terms of a, on a scale and looking outside rugby for some sort of perspective. And on a scale from, you know, starting at Kieran Jack and his girlfriend not getting tickets to his parents for their two, for his 200th AFL game all the way up to the Parramatta Eels, where does this weekend stand in terms of a sporting perspective? And, mate, I'd, I'd to go up the scale. Can I preface this by, you know, delicate ears – Take your headphones off for a couple of minutes. This is our 9-11, boys. This is, I was watching this weekend, and it took me back to, to, to 9-11. Mate, the first tower went down, that Brumbies game. It was shock and awe. You know, I couldn't quite believe what you're seeing, but, wow, you know, it's an isolated incident. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, you move on to the next one. All of a sudden, the second tower comes down. The Reds are done, 50 points to five. You know, all of a sudden, you're going, wow, hang on. This, this is big. This is this, this is this is horrendous, but you, you, you know again you can isolate it. You move on to the next weekend. All of a sudden, the rebels something hits the Pentagon. Yeah, yes. all of a sudden you're going Christ. Mm. This is bigger than what we thought. This is we're being attacked. It's cool. We, we are now in danger. Exactly right. Who's behind this all? And by the time that the, the last plane you know crash lands in Pennsylvania somewhere, the Waratahs and the Force games happen. We're just in this dull state. You know, you can't believe anything we're seeing. It just a little bit too far there, boys. What do you reckon? No, it's like Independence Day to finish it off. I think that's when they—that's when the aliens come in and, and finish this all off. But I guess, I mean, I you know, I, what I do draw that correlation is Steve Hansen, Osama bin Laden. Um, <laughs> there, there are parallels, maybe. Um, we are talking firmly tongue and cheek, obviously. I don't know, Hugh. Where where are you on all this, mate? You went you went to ground for a bit there. I thought the beginning. Yeah, of I've got a bit of a. Something of a rugby detox the last um, three days, I suppose. I've tried to steer clear of the forums a, a little bit and um, and just just wore myself off from it a little bit because it was it was hard and and also because I'm trying to keep myself a bit fresh for the autumn into the 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 spring internationals and the the ones we've got coming up and you just can't put yourself through it every week. I, I think com- the comparison I think is is, is you, you know how. Comparing this to the England series, do you know how they, there are bad movies and there are bad movies, and and there are some bad movies that you can kind of watch and they're they're um, they're sort of upbeat and they roll along pretty fast, and there's some horrible action movies that that are, that, that fit that bill, you know, your bad. Actually, no, I'm never going to say a bad word about the movie Bad Boys Two, but yeah, you know, some of the <laughs> some of the Stephen Seagal movies and that, you know, that um that are generally you know pretty fast, and that was like the England series, you know, very watchable. But you knew the result was going to be bad, and in the end, it left a bad taste in your mouth. But at least you got an hour of a half's good entertainment out of it. Whereas, whereas this week was like those horrible, really bad movies that you walk out of the cinema halfway through, you know, because it's just a waste of your your time. And I got that feeling at at, at halftime in the Rebels match and at halftime in the Force match um, of of if this was a movie I'd be leaving at half time because there's yeah. there's nothing good that comes of this. And um it was probably more in towards the last ten minutes of the Waratahs game. But um yeah, it, it, it was it was not a pleasant experience at all. It, it wasn't, guys. So, so let's get into it. We've got our five burning questions. I want to jump straight to our first burning question, which is pure and simple. Uh which was the least impressive or the most disappointing Aussie performance of the weekend. And there's some fair ones to choose from. 
here. Uh, I'm going to go first, guys, and I'll see what you feel about this. You know, the Rebels was pretty dire, but, mate, I can't go past that Brumbies performance. Mm. 40 to 15, and on the scoreline alone, and the Brumbies are our top Australian team against the uh, against the Blues, who are the bottom you know, New Zealand team, at least on, in conference system. But that's the way the Brumbies looked. They just didn't look like getting across the line unless they had to revert to that, that driving rolling more from which they scored. You know, I think Moore scored a try. They got a penalty try. Um, and there's a Matty Tamur try later on. But my, I, that Brumbies performance, and it just set the agenda for the rest of the weekend. What about you, Matt? Yeah, like I was, this is one of those ones where um, I was out and about, so I, I didn't get to see it actually, um, and I just saw the, the score. And I've heard people talk about, though, the nature of it. And, yeah, to me, that was – I've got to agree with you. The one that was the biggest shocker because, really, that's the team that's, you know, it's top of our um, – you know, top of our comp. Um, they're the guys – and we talked about it, I think, in the last podcast. You know, this is their last roll of the dice, you would think. Uh, you would want them to be coming home with a bit of a wet sail by now, really getting into their stride. And instead – they seem to be coming up completely toothless. And this isn't the only time, you know, I guess what this is, is this is kind of like confirmation. We've had a few performances from the Brumbies um, where they've just been absolutely bitch slapped. Is it, was it the Crusaders who did it as well? Um, and, uh, you know, and, and it seems to be, you know, as Boba said, yeah, against the Chiefs as well. Um, it seems to be all against the New Zealanders. I mean, I, I know that's not uncommon, but, you know, they're getting really, really turned over. Uh, so, yeah, it felt to me that the wheels totally came off in that match. Yeah, well, you think about it, it's always against New Zealand. It's the only people we've seen to play these days in this conference. Obviously, we play the other Aussie teams and we stumble our way through against each other. But when God, we chase that, what we play for all those Kiwi teams, we just we can't get away from them. Hugh, given your, you know, your viewing of the, uh, of the, the weekend's rugby, what was your perspective? What, what stood out to you as, as being our most dismal? Oh, look, I'll, I'll take a bit of a different tack. I acknowledge the Brumbies and I'm, I'm the first to pile on some of those Brumbies veterans who I think have been below par this year. Um, but the one I'll say is the Rebels because mm. I, you know, look, they, they've got excuses, you know, injuries. They're playing the Crusaders in, in Canterbury and, and um, you know, the, the season's winding down, nothing to play for. But but they dead set gave up, you know. It was really pathetic. From a, No professional sporting team should ever concede 85 points. doesn't matter how many people you've got injured. doesn't matter who you're playing. Um, that it's absolutely no excuse. And that Rebels team that they fielded was still a, a, a very good, you know, a good super quality side with guys like, you know, Deborah Sini and Sturzacker and Hodge and Tom English and, and Colby Fianger and, and, and um, you know, Laurie Weeks and all these guys that, that ha, you know, have been around a long time and, and should be better than what they were. And, and look, indications are that they're very unhappy behind the scenes and, Tony McGann is, is is certainly at odds with a number of the playing group, and I think that was the best indication that that, that that's all true because because um, they absolutely phoned it in, and it just shows you that they're they're um they're not behind what the team's doing, and from what was a really promising start at mid season to see the wheels come off like this is it's it's a real shame, and and it was really hard to watch that 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 game against the well, well, well that match I couldn't believe it, so I checked out the score. I think it was after seven minutes, and they were twenty eight nil down, or was it seventeen minutes? Sorry, and they were twenty eight seventeen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was unbelievable. I was like, whoa. Well, it was um, it was on, and I caught it very early in, on Twitter. You know. It looked like a 100-point game. It was on pace for 100 points until there was probably about a 15-minute period in the mid-second half where Rebels scored a few tries and sort of pegged it back and stemmed the bleeding a little bit. So it fell short. I think it was 86 in the end. So 85 yeah. to 26. Uh, you talk about a couple of tries. Tell you what, you know, and, and full credit to the Crusaders. Yeah. Amazing. Once they get their role on, they're just ridiculous. And there's obviously that famous match with the Waratahs a few years ago. I had to mention it. What was it? 96 points. But even, you know, the Reds have been on the end of a few 50-pointers. They're amazing to watch. And once they get a roll on, they're almost unstoppable. But I will say, the Navalu and the Hodge try for the Rebels were pretty damn incredible too. Hodge in particular sort of hiding out the wing with a busted arm um, gets this ball, chips ahead, regathers, puts it all down, sort of one armed. It was pretty incredible, but uh, yeah, it's hard to go past an eighty-five point loss as a as a pretty significant loss. Yeah, although I tell you what, if um, if the Brumbies was t- sort of Tower One, uh, I thought the Waratahs. <laughs> I thought the the Waratahs was the Brexit. Uh, <laughs> yes, it, it might have been a lot closer, but I think we're going to have like similar kind of global ramifications uh, here. Um, 
because you know yeah i mean whatever it was what was it 11 point gap by the end um but you know it's it's really cruel those conference hopes there as well and for the waratahs i mean you know their destiny would have been in their own hands and and now it sort of isn't really um you know it's you got the brumbies with the with the force you would think that they'd get that one done so it's really going to be tough for the waratahs from here on in and while we're talking about that naya Ravoro, um mm. You know how sometimes you, you, your luggage gets left behind and has to catch mm. up with you? Is his brain in his luggage? <laughs> I mean, it's a couple of weeks running now. I mean, that little trip, you kind of go, mm, maybe. But that char- that charge he put on, uh, was it Barrett um, that he put on his back? Well, that was just absolutely brain dead. Um, I'm not sure I've seen anything quite as stupid as that. Um, Hugh, did you see that one as well? Yeah, yeah. It, it's an in, really interesting discussion. I think our top five touches on it um, yeah, really well. Say, as a, yep. as a, that was a really good article by MST. But the the um, it's interesting under the laws that was a genuine yellow card. You know, like the laws is basically all dependent on where the player lands, and and you compare that what Nayara already did to what we saw earlier in the season with. Um, the bloke from the Stormers against the Waratahs who got a red, and there was another couple of reds, or you know, um, um, yeah, as well in the other games. And and for guys that got red when they were genuinely competing for the ball and they just mistimed it a bit, or you know, had eyes for the ball but were a little bit careless with the way they went in for a challenge and got a red. And it seems to me so bizarre that Nayara Voro, who it was a genuine tackle on the air, you know, to me was way worse than anything we've seen this season. You know, could have ended really badly, and yet he only gets a yellow. And and it was correct decision under the laws. But mm. I think that just exposes that they need to have a bit of a tweak there because well, but, but that was just so dumb. Was it the, the correct decision? Because now he's been cited and he's got one week, so that means it was a red card offence. And you, gosh, you compare yeah. it to and forgive me for going all egg chaser for a little while, but you compare it to the the decision in that first Ireland Springbok test when. Um, oh yeah, number, standard. Number six, yeah, number six yeah. for Ireland got the the red card for that contest in the air where it sort of turned his back. I can, can some kind of somewhat understand it, but if that was a red, then no, um, to Kelly's was was most definitely a red. Yeah, well, but, I mean, walking that, through the rules just quickly, Reg, on that. Yeah. I mean, I disagree with what Sansa did because you read the clarification that World Rugby issued, and again on the top five, it's it's really clear. It says if it's if it's an unfair contest. Um, you know, if if basically the player that's competing doesn't have eyes for the ball or is deemed to be out of position, um, if it lands on the the back or the legs, I think it, you know legs or back, it's a yellow card, and if it's head, neck, or shoulders, it's a red. So it all depends on the landing position Just of the player. Just how they land, right? Yeah, yeah. and that, and that worked against Pat Lambie in that Springbok test. Yeah, that's right. And so I think that's why it's a it it it, it doesn't bring intent in, intent into it, and I think that's a bit silly. Um, and I think we discussed this on an earlier podcast, and I made that, that same point because what Nayara Ravor did was, in my book, way worse than anything we've seen this season. Well, I tell you what, I mean, and geez, the, the ramifications of it. So I think the two teams are relatively neck and neck. Maybe even the Tars were ahead at that stage. And um, you know, next thing you know, two phases later, and the uh, you know they've scored in the corner because there's a one-man overlap. Because so, Niagara was off the off the field. Exactly. Well, well, I want to hear Reg's view on this because I know you you are you know a bit of a Niagara Voro fan, Reg, or you've certainly asked to see him for the Wallabies. Does does that one play? And I think it does for me, honestly. Like, does that one play rule him out for for, for the big tests? The, the you know the All Black Springbok tests because. Well, you know, look, it does in my mind, but I, you know I, I like the fact that you have to earn a Wallaby jersey. Um, now he obviously didn't earn it when he came back from Scotland. And I don't think we've seen anything in these couple of games to earn his uh, his jersey there. And, you know, if you're, you're looking at pure form, mate, you, you want a big Fijian winger, Ed Anabulis continues to tear it up and, and make breaks and and um, be quite busy off his wing. He's not 120 kilograms, but he's also... Um, I was going to say he's not tackling people in the air, but I do think he did that earlier in the year. But uh, <laughs> <He did>. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't yeah. pick Narevel, the, the, right? The, the thing I'll say about Tekeli... Is now, and this is his one biggest strength. Is is uh, if I had to do once, yeah, one player in Australian rugby that for my life, if it was, if it was in a ten meters out, um, you know, with one man to be in a bit of space, I think he's the best player in Australian rugby, and he tends to score, you know, 
90% of the time on that where we don't have an equivalent player like that. that you could, And the Waratahs have did it again. He did it again against the Hurricanes. He just picks up the ball five metres out and no one can stop him. And he did it against the, for the Wallabies against England. Just give it to him five metres out with a, with a man in front of him. And more often than not, he will get over that man and score, which is, which is something. But I don't think you can carry him with, with what he's done the last few weeks. And if that's our game plan, and definitely how New Zealand defend, where they farm out and don't commit, and that's the defensive line you've got to get through, and, and that's all we've got in the back line, yeah, absolutely provides a, a lot of scope. And, mate, I, I don't understand why it's not used more. You've got to, you know, a scrum 30 metres in and a, a big blind. Isolate it. Put him on the blind. He's got 30 metres to work with. One guy in front, he should score every time. But, yeah, you're, you're right. There's a lot more they have to carry there. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, look, I want to work, move on to that second burning question. And, and gosh... I tweeted this pretty quickly after, it must have been after the force game, it could have been any time during the weekend, but it, it blows my mind. I mean, after the heights of the World Cup, 2016 was meant to be this massive year for Australian rugby. You know, Chica and the boys got us back on song at the World Cup. You move forward six, eight months, and all of a sudden we've lost a Test Series 3 0. And our Super Rugby teams are grossly underperforming, and and Hyde and probably I think they said you know this is our worst weekend of, of Super Rugby ever. I mean I think it was you go back five or so years back to when we had three teams was the last time all our teams lost. Where did it all go wrong? I mean, is it that bad, Matt? Am I over over um, dramatizing it? Well, I don't think so. I think there are some contributing factors. I guess the contributing factors are things like. Um, and I, you know, they sound like excuses. I just, you know, more like reasons, I guess. Um, you know, you, you had that Pommy team who were actually who were in really great form with a, with a coach who did a really really good job with them. Uh, another contributing factor at the moment is you've got the, you know the Kiwi, the fact that we play the Kiwis all the bloody time, and that they've taken a big step on it would seem to me in their sort of provincial coaching setup. Uh, so we have pulled up, you know, at least we used to have a few basket cases and now those basket cases even seem to be playing pretty damn well. So, and we're playing against them all the time. So they're the kind of contributing factors. But I think from our end, it's hard to argue that we're not playing a, what feels like a pretty dumb brand of rugby and we're not playing it very well. So at least, for example, through the World Cup, um, we were slightly smarter in the way that we played, but in the dumb stuff that we played, i.e., the, the you know the, con- the continuous ball in hand thing, it, it was done well, um, and we're just not even doing that. The one thing though is, um, so again, go back to this top five article that MST did today, and I'd really recommend anyone to read it. Did a really really good breakdown of um, you know the stats from the weekend because you know across those five teams, there was plenty of stats to look at. And not just looking at the points, obviously, where we got a hiding in pretty much every game. But, you know, this whole idea of, well, we play the running rugby, right? And he went through yeah. it and he, and he showed how actually we ran for like, like, you know, it was almost half the number of metres. And in mm. fact, we only had one or two performances that even made that look good. So, you know, the, the Kiwis, you know, completely, um, you know, outran us um but then and then you say well, okay so there's that but what else did, you know what do we do with the ball and what you see there is that we had far more phases that we played but then the kiwis on the other hand were offload you know at like at least twice the number of offloads and i think it was three times the number of line breaks so it's it's hard and that's where you get those massive score differences right when you're making you know when you're making that many sort of line breaks that's when it really really kills you so it's hard not to say that you know across our teams at the moment um you know that we're not playing just what seems like pretty dumb low caliber rugby um earlier on in this season i tried to say look we're missing like a team worth of wallabies and i think that does hurt us but i i don't know i think if we still played this same stuff um which is pretty unenterprising with pretty low skill level, I think we'd still get dished up. Mate, bang on. And, and Hugh, before I throw to you, I, I want to – and that would capture that so well. And MST's article, again, is fantastic. But I was watching the weekend. I think it must have been the Reds game, you know, on the back of the Brumbies game and how dire the Brumbies were. And the Reds were really bad. And it was the first, worst game I've seen Frisbee play and Karevi was pretty terrible in the first half. And, you know, all our key players were just so poor. But we played – Dumb. We just looked dumb and, and one-trick ponies. And you hark back to the success of our, our, you know, 
our famous teams, 91, 92, and 99, 2000, 2001, and what stood them out other than some legends, but they were smart. They played smart rugby, and you could see it in the game and how they approached different matches and so on. And Australia used to have this reputation of being a smart rugby nation and i just don't see it anymore i mean you just it just it's just one-dimensional robot stuff well because and the other bit here is that i feel that so when, when you're going to play against really good teams like these kiwi teams you want to turn it in, you need to turn it into an arm wrestle right you, you need to turn it into a real pressure cooker because if if you especially with these teams the way they are at the moment if you turn it into this big free-flowing game uh, where you're just chucking the ball around yep. and you, you're thinking, well, you know, you might score five tries, but I'm going to score six. Yep. I think we, I think we all know who's going to win that, mm. and in fact, it's going to blow out. So what you've got to do is you've got to turn it down to this game where it's sort of like, you know, every point is going to really, really, really matter, and the game plan is going to be all about the game plan. And I'm going to turn this into a game of chess in one way or another. I'm not necessarily saying that's necessary for a kicking game or anything like that. You know, it might be a ball in hand game like um, Eddie Jones did against the Kiwis in that yep. 2003 um, semi-final, but it's done strategically. It's not just done with a, well, the boys are going to go out and throw the footy enough and see how it goes. And look, I don't know. I don't know if this is, if, if this is where the tides are going to turn on Checker a little bit because I wonder if – I can't help but think if you look across all the provinces at the moment, and I know we're not centralised in that way, but I don't know if this is something that people have picked up from the whole Wallabies setup, which is we're just going to go out and back ourselves and play this running game um, come what may – Rather than you know tying these guys down into an arm wrestle uh, one way or another and turning it into a tough shit fight where they where they blink first um, and none of us did that on the weekend you know every, everyone was out to you know see how far they could fling it um, and the whole thing blew apart. Yeah, indeed. Q, where did it go wrong, mate? What's what's gone on? Well, the other look, I've, I think style is one thing, and I agree with everything that's been said. You know, the other thing is just execution of basic skills. And it's, it's you know, one thing to play running rugby, but you've got to catch the ball. And that was the thing about the Waratahs game where they just made so many just unforced errors. Passes go down, forced passes, these things that, you know, they, I know these players can catch the ball, but, but they, they've stopped doing it under pressure. And the other thing is just basic one-on-one -on -one tackles. And to me, the most alarming statistic of, of the um, – of, of that MST article, and I'm going to bring it up now, is is clean breaks. The Chiefs and Crusaders made 28 clean breaks each, and and in turn the Reds and Rebels made five and nine, um, respectively. And and how are you letting a team make 28 clean breaks? It's mm. just it just seems our defence has just gone totally to shit. Can I say and, the, and the Reds? Sorry, but and the, the Chiefs only had 102 carries, so yeah, that's almost a third of every carry that they're, they're getting through. <laughs> it's 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 alarming, isn't it? And and you know the Waratahs Hurricanes, which was a closer game, still Hurricanes seventeen clean breaks to the Waratahs eight, still pretty a uh, comprehensive comprehensive victory there. So yeah, and and that was the thing about the England series. Broadly speaking, our defence was what let us down. And everyone points to you know we, as Australians, it seems to be a thing where we point to the backs. It's always a, the the attacking tactics of our nine ten and. And that decides the game. And I don't think it does at all. And one of the hallmarks of the World Cup was was our defensive performance. And, and, you know, that Wales game and the England game where we conceded one try and the Argentina game where we conceded one try. And really, with the exception of the Scotland game and, and then the All Blacks in the end, we, we, our, our defense was absolutely rock solid throughout the whole tournament. So... I think that's something that's flown under the radar a little bit that, that we're conceding so many points and you know it's just a mix of soft one-on-one -on -one tackles and, and and more systemic problems. But that's something that I, I don't know what the answer is because Nathan Gray was was the pioneer of our defence for the Wallabies in the World Cup, but seemingly for the Waratahs he can't he can't seem to get it 100% right. So uh, that's that's the problem, Reg. There, there are just no easy answers to this and 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 the issues are across the board. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's let's go to. Uh, burning question number three, and and this has been mooted by some as a solution. It's it's again it's copying the Kiwi model. Is it time for the AAU to take control of all franchises of the professional rugby uh, models, a la New Zealand, and impose a, a coherent style across the franchises? Uh, what that actually means is, uh, does the AAU need to stand up and, and and take control of 
who's coaching what, where, and how. So there's a consistency, and we can be assured that the you know that there's some sort of results and outcomes happening. Matt, I mean, yeah, I mean, look. I, I... So the first one is, are they going to get that control? And I, you no. know, if super well, but if Super Rugby keeps going the way it is, then yes, because they're all going to go bloody buff. <laughs> yep. So they're going to be having to buy their IP or whatever the phrase is now, um, for for basically taking them all over. So they are all headed in that direction um, as of now. So I think you know the options will be there. Look, I, as far as imposing a coherent style, I'm, I'm not sure. And I know you were just throwing a phrase out there. I think yeah. it would be more around, less around a coherent style, but more about a consistency of skill sets and fitness. And I think what's been quite obvious that the Kiwi teams um, have done is they've said, right, defences are bloody good these days. Um, well, <laughs> um, apart, apart from the Australian teams last weekend. But defences are bloody good these days in modern rugby, but the only way you get through it is the offload, right? So... You know, because because everyone's up and fast, and they and they you know fanning out. It's hard to find that space. About the only way you find the space is through the tackle. And you look at those offload stats, and you look at them across all the Kiwi teams. There used to be one or two Kiwi teams, like the Chiefs, um, used to do it, um, uh, and 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 you may one one or two other teams at any one any one stage. But now it's right across that. Like the Crusaders have turned into this insane offload team, yep. and that wasn't necessarily their brand of rugby at all. And that's quite clearly a skill set that's going through. The other one is is their fitness. Not just the level of fitness, but the way they time it through the season. Um, so, you know, I know for a fact that across the Super Rugby teams, they have completely different approaches. Um, and as they kind of headed into uh, rugby, uh, into Wallaby camp, you know, everyone had different injuries for, for different reasons. Um, and so, um, because they'd all approached it in completely different ways. So, you know, I think that's definitely something that, um, you know, we should be looking at as well. Is, 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 and, the final thing about this is, though, you know, do you feel who here feels confident that this that the ARU has the skill to impart mm. at, this, at this point in time? Right, I, I kind of think they've barely got it to impart onto the Wallabies, let alone to go out and part and impart that across Super Rugby franchises. But I think that's probably our next question, isn't it? Yeah, well, and let's yeah go, Hugh. I think you've probably got to be more specific than that. I, I think we talk about ARU controlling, and we are, but. In a sense, I think, and I agree with what you say about S and C and 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 that sort of thing. And I think that means it's the Wallabies control it, not the ARU. You yeah. know, we, we let's let's employ our best and brightest to coach the Wallabies, and let's let them set some of the standards that we we employ across our you know across our Super Rugby teams. It's not Bill Pulver or or Rob Clark or any of these guys having any involvement. Although I think there's probably a case to be stated for the financial elements to have a bit of that. Um, control as well not that i know a huge amount about that but um i think having that you know coherent approach to fitness and strength and conditioning and, and general sort of um ethos that i and i think that should be imparted by the wallabies guys and and i think that you know when so when our players do get into camp it seems it seems like you know they they all are singing from the same hymn sheet um, and they, they don't come at varying levels of fitness and strength because and I, it seems like that's what's happening at the moment. Yeah, and I guess that's evidenced by Chica's comments post the test series, and, and we mentioned a couple of weeks ago that he said that the Wallabies weren't fit enough to play the game plan he wanted. So, uh, you know, I guess under this proposal, if there was this centralisation, uh, this strength and conditioning coach for Wallaby Rugby would be ensuring that all the players were at the appropriate levels for that at least at least the states knew that that was a rugby that needed to play and that's what they're looking to uh, to achieve and that's why they had to deliver players to that standard yeah it's a tough call but uh, let's get on to that next question so the, my, the next question next burning question so the, there's, there seems to be this massive skills issue which you both brought up there in australian rugby Dream, dream thinking here. Who should we be getting in as a specialist skills coach? So, is there a particular skill you think we need working on, and who would you be ideal coach to come in and work on that? You know, from a whole of Australian rugby. Uh, Hugh, have you got a thought on this one? Uh, I'm, not, I'm not the person to come to for this one, Reg, because I've got I've got an opinion on this, and I think it's at odds with the question. All right. Um, Give me your odds against. Well, question. well, look. And we'll ignore I it. I don't know. I think, and I think the evidence of ju- it's hard to judge coaches. 
um, yep. for us, us, us people that aren't in the team environment, yep. it's hard. It's very hard to judge coaches. And and I think you take Nathan Gray as a prime example. Like in the Wallabies, you know, and for the Waratahs, he was a pioneer of that defence that won them a super title and got us to the World Cup final. And this year, it seems for the Wallabies and for for the Waratahs, it's 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 got away from him. You know, it, he's not doing a great job. And 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 it's the same with you know. Specialist, you know, skills coaches. Yep, look, Mick Burns. Mick Burns, the obvious one, and done great stuff for the All Blacks. And yep, all by all means, get him in, and and that's fine. But um, I, it's just hard to tell. And I think, uh, you know, the other thing is people say let's get a kicking coach in, and and some of the names being bandied around, Andrew Mertens and and Johnny Wilkinson and these guys. Well, they they were great players. Are they great coaches? I'm not sure. They they'd certainly have a lot of a lot of um, knowledge to impart. But does that does that really constitute a, a being a good coach? I, I'm not sure. So, you know, scrums have been the same. We've got, you know, the the, the guru of the world's Mike Cron, and, and and he doesn't have a huge pedigree in terms of international achievement. Um, but Mario Ledesma has has had pretty good results. So it's just, I, I don't know, it's, it's really hard across the board. And sometimes coaches gel with some teams and not others. And, and sometimes, you know, guys that have got really good achievements on paper don't don't turn out to be... Great coaches, and you know Michael Foley, for example, was great with the scrum for the Waratahs, but not for the Force. It's, it, I don't know, it, it's hard. So it's a bit of a pass for me on that, Reg. I'm sorry I haven't given a, a coherent yeah. example. That, but yeah. I, I think broadly speaking, there's not one saviour that we can rely on to come in and solve our issues. I disagree yeah. that, but Matt, you go, mate. Well, yeah, I mean, my, my bit would be, uh, you know, I might not necessarily. You know, give you the exact names of the people, although you know, some someone like a Mick Byrne would make complete sense to me. And we've spurned him once; he's now gone to the All Blacks, and they've just gone on to other levels. Why we would spurn him again? I've got no idea. Oh yeah, but but a part of me also wonders on the Mick Byrne thing, Matt. To interrupt you, sorry, but yeah. I, a part of me wonders if I could coach the All Blacks skills and they'd still win the World Cup. You know, like a part well, of me does wonder if, if the All Blacks coaching that, stuff is the easiest job in rugby. If if they hadn't, if if the All Blacks had just been sitting around at sort of sort of if the, if the All Blacks had been pulling away from the rest of world rugby, you could go with that point. But they have been. On yeah, just, I agree. So Mick Burns, my choice, Matt, and I'm with you. I think they they have gone up a level. You know, yeah. a couple of levels across. And I know Mick Burns not there this year, but I think it all flows down. This they lost a lot of key players, more key players than we did this year. And their skill level has raised astronomically, let alone what the All Blacks have been doing after the last few years. Go on, Matt. Sorry. Well, no, so my bit is, I, look, I'm not going to give you all the different names, but as an approach, here's what, you know, let me take it to another level so or another uh, sporting field. Look at the Poms. Like the Poms are in a shambles in their sport, sporting codes only, a, you know, a, a few years ago. And they basically said, right, stuff it. Um, let's stop trying to recruit from within all the time and giving jobs for the boys. So on the Olympics, so we're, we're building up for the uh, for the uh, London Olympics. What are we going to do? Just go out and get the freaking best. Whoever's the best, go out and get them. Doesn't matter if they're an Aussie, which they tend to be. So whether it's you know swimming, whether it's cricket, whatever it is, yep. just go and get the best and get them in. And they've they've consistently started. To, so they swallowed the pride a while ago and they said find the best in the world and go and get them, and then see if you can build on top of that. And you would have to be a freaking idiot if you couldn't see who's got the best coaching setup in the world and has done now for about eight years, and that's that's New Zealand. And I'm not just talking about coaching at like you know at that one team level. I'm talking about obviously they're looking at it, these other two questions we've talked about. And if you were in any business, you would say, and you knew that you had a competitor who's absolutely smashing it, you would at least understand how they're doing that. And if you needed to, you know. Um, emulate that in some way, at least to try and get to their ne- to their level, so that you could then find your advantage and your differentiator. And we haven't even done that. So you know things like well, what, what, what we, do you we, mean though? Like these we specific. don't have we don't have a skills coach. We don't. Well, have, we do. We do have a skills coach. It's um, it's um, what's his name? The Wallabies have a skills coach. Steve Larkham. Larkham, yeah. Skill he, skills and backs. No, he's he's, he's the attack coach, just like the. Just like the All Blacks have, which, whichever one of the two it is who you know t- takes care of their attack or defence coach, but the All Blacks had to have Mick Byrne, specific skills coach who worked with different players and different types of skills, and then I've got no doubt then goes throughout the provinces in the off season saying you need to work on this skill. Here's how you do it, and and go and do that. We we don't have that. Um, and th- I'll give you another one, Gilbert Anoka. 
who is their um, basically, uh, you know, I think they call him something around um, culture. Yeah, spiritual leader, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. Yep. But he's not. He's basically a sports psychiatrist. Yep. And, and he and he's been doing that for. Uh, he's been there something like fifteen years now. Mm. It's a huge amount of time. Yeah. Look, uh, that, that he's, I, that he's I'm, been I'm doing. not disagreeing with you. Like I, I, I agree. Like we should go and get the best coaches. But I think my broader point was. It's fickle. Like at, at sitting at the back end of last year, you would say Michael Checker could be the best coach in the world, and he got the co- won the Coach of the Year award from World Rugby, you know. But now it seems like he's taken a step back, and 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 so, like, yeah, I, I I totally agree with you. Should be emulating the All Blacks. I mean, that should be our that should be our standard. Um, and and I'd be more than happy to see Mick Byrne come in. But it's not like they're doing anything radically different to what to what we're doing in terms of structure. I mean, they've got a skills coach. We've got a you know people that do skills stuff. We've got a scrum. They've got a scrum coach. We've got a scrum coach. They've got a forwards coach. We've got a forwards coach. It's not like they have a radically different way of approaching the game that we're, that we're not doing. It's just I think but, but, it seems like across the board they they're doing their one percenters better than what we're doing. But but they do. So um, oh, I saw this show and someone told me about it. Um, I can't remember what it's called now. I think I saw it about a year or two ago. But it, it, it tracked what it took to become like a, a coach in New Zealand. In New Zealand, oh right? really? Yeah. And and um, and what it showed was the conferences that they have. Oh yeah. Um, you know, which show was that? Okay, but, so yeah, I I see what you're saying, and I, okay, so I totally agree with you there. Because what yeah. I was saying in terms of like their structure of how they structure their teams, it's mm. it's roughly the same in terms of their coaching teams. But I agree, that's the one thing I would love to see us do is is a coaching across the board from your under sevens to to yep. your um to to your pros. Is it seems to me there doesn't seem to be a huge investment in coaching pathways. Yeah. We do a lot about player pathways, but there doesn't seem to be much about coaching pathways, and that's something that. Yeah. I think we've spoken about it. I think Sully on the forum, or someone has made a really good point about it after England. And I, and I think, um, yeah, that's it. You're right, Matt. You're totally right. Yeah. yeah, but, yeah. I, I, think, I just think the skills gap is, is huge. And, and I think part of it comes from that coach development. And, and you know, having been a coach at you know, junior level and basically having to learn yourself on the job. And but it's, it's exactly like you say, Hugh, on a much smaller scale, is that, you know, I count myself as a de- de- pretty decent rugby player. I think I know what I'm talking about. But Jesus, a whole other level trying to communicate that to 8, 9, 10, 11-year-olds, let alone 24-year-olds. But also having kids now going through the older system and this part of this rep rugby thing and just seeing the number one choice for most of these rep rugby selections are the big guy. Let's pick the big, fast guy who just runs through everyone. And that's what they're doing. And you see the scholarships in these Jeep schools, particularly in Brisbane, the big guys are just coming in to win teams. There's no coaching going on. Just give it to the big guy. There's no skills development. And then we see guys coming into the rep season, the Chris Foyer sorteers, who don't have the skills to, to, to catch and pass and to kick and all that sort of stuff because all they've had to do is run over the top of people. But you talk about the skills. I've been Googling Mick Byrne all day, or not all day. My boss is listening. But I've been listening, you know, Googling Mick Byrne. It's phenomenal what he did. And I, I think it is, it is one of the most apparent increases in the All Blacks' performance is their basic skills, particularly in the backs, sorry, particularly in the forwards. I think it's where it's most evident is the skill sets in their forwards is astronomical. And you always had the likes like Zinzan and, and, and those freaks. But across the board, the, the skill level of the, those All Black forwards, and, and one of the articles Mick talks about, um, you know, it really took a year for the big fellas to, to, to even learn to catch. And this is what it is for you. It's the back to the basics, legitimately back to the paces, how to catch and pass, how to kick changing um, uh, kicking styles and so on. But Mick Byrne talked about the forwards and how it took a year to build them up to the levels and they're dropping balls and passing into each other's faces, which we see every weekend in Australian rugby. Um, and it's not until um, you know a year later, and now he coaches elsewhere, and he's seeing you know international elite backs who can't do the stuff that the All Black forwards are doing. So it's it's you know results on the board. The skill level is just phenomenal. I, I'd be throwing all the money in the world at Mick Byrne and, and just giving him uh, the uh, the to start at the top and move down. So well, and 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 quickly, can I butt in with a pertinent yeah. fact just on the coaching point, Matt? I remember we do you remember we had this debate about the what the RFU were doing over in England. Um, to you know, in their ways of growing the game with their massive cash pile, mm. one of the things and I remember, I've just googled it now and found it. Their target um, for last year, their big initiative was to recruit 2015 new level two coaches for 2015, mm. um, and they achieved that target by training up you know over 2,000 new level two coaches. 
So obviously England have seemingly got the got the memo on that. I'm not sure where Australia lies on that, but um, well, I, mate, I, I guess it's a fair way behind. Mate, and I can tell you what level one there looked like. So, you know, I wanted to do a bit of coaching at my son's club when I was living in the UK. And so this was over four or five years ago now. And um, this was with London Welsh. And so, and you had to go and do the coaching course. So you couldn't just rock up and say, oh, yeah, I played a bit of bit of footy when I was younger. You had to go through the coaching course. And the coaching course, the level one coaching course, was designed to coach kids. It wasn't about general coaching. It was, I don't know, if, because everyone comes, you know, almost everyone starts coaching kids first. But the guys who came to come and coach us turned up in BMWs with ERFU coaching squad written down the sides and fully, uh, in, you know, gave us all, um, uh, and it was like a, what was it? It was two different weekends, full days. Um, they had, you know, really decently mapped out sort of PowerPoint with video explanation. Also, it's a lot of it was, um, you know, out in the field, um, you know, experiential, all the rest of it. We had to come, you know, fully kitted up and all the rest of it. And you walked away thinking, well, I've, I could actually give that a decent crack. And not only that, they had mandated the first things you need to do with the kids. Yeah, right. Um, and, you know, so, I mean, how many t- you go around any sort of subbies, kids, clubs, and it is, a, you know, it, it's being coached a thousand different ways. There is no, there would be no set way. And guess what? The first thing that they do out of the box in England coaching for kids is basically how to set up the Tower of Power, which is basically how, to, how you would um, set up as a prop. And that's what every single kid learns straight out of the box. Um, and because it's also the same position you should be using over a ball, for example, that a ruck. So, um, and, but all I'm saying is like, there's a structure there and that's a, that's a perfect point you make there, Hugh, is that they've just turned out another 2000 and that was only level one that I did. Level two really takes you up another notch. Um, so they've, that's where they've plowed in their money and they'll start to see that. And you can imagine Eddie's not going to be letting that one go either. He'll be plowing into that as well. And I know they'd spent, um, you know, tens and tens of thousands of dollars getting consultants in to rewrite what those coaching courses were. It wasn't being left to some old guy in, in tracky decks. Um, so, yeah, I really worry that there's this gap that's opening up and it's just a crime that Mick Byrne is wandering around spending a bit of time on Fox Sports here and there when he's got the last eight years of what the All Blacks did to move away from the world yeah. in his head. That you wouldn't grab him for at least a year and find out what that is is, cr- is criminal. Yeah, I, I tell you what, I, I hark back to the days when um, at the QRU, uh, when you and um, you sort of moved on from his head coaching role somewhat, and and Richard came on as this uh, this sort of mentoring role or mentee role. Um, but Ewan was gradually, if the Wallaby job didn't come along, was ostensibly going to be this head of rugby for Queensland and was going to relook at how rugby was structured and taught and educated and everything uh, from Queensland. And Ewan, as you both know, you had dealings with Ewan, he just had this great brain. And I would have been fascinated to see what he'd come up with and, you know, sliding doors and all that sort of stuff. He uh, he uh, got the Wallaby gig for a year and, and now is not involved with rugby, but another great rugby brain that... Uh, it's a shame we can't be tapping anymore. It is indeed. We've got uh, one more burning question, Matt, but I thought we should have a little bit of a pause, calm things down a little bit, um, <laughs> and acknowledge our sponsor once again, Sporpool. Yeah, well, indeed. Um, Sporpool.com. Uh, go find your uh, talent. So whether you're a player looking for a club, which could be in Australia, but especially if you're looking for a club overseas, um, go have a look. And I know we've got a lot of listeners actually from the UK, for example, um, or from the US. This is a great way for you if you wanted to come and play some rugby in the sun or get over to the States with their burgeoning scene. Sporple is the perfect place because they've got, um, you know, basically rugby playing gigs from all around the world. Similarly, if you're a club looking to find a player, Get in there and have a look. All levels from subbies right up into professionals. So go and have a look at sporpal.com. Excellent. Good stuff. 
um, and thanks for your continued support, Sportball. Look, our last burning question is we're going to move away from Super Rugby specifically, and there's an interesting announcement, although it hasn't been formalised, but it was reported on the ARU and a couple of the News Limited um, sites, was about this Brisbane International Tens, which is uh, mooted for early next year. So, Hugh, it's the week after the Sydney Sevens Festival, which was such a huge success this year and, and will sure to be again next year. It'll involve all the Australian Super Rugby teams, all the Kiwi Super Rugby teams, uh, uh, Toulon from France will be there, the Samoan national team, the Bulls from South Africa, and Japanese uh, top league side Panasonic, which is Robbie Deans and I think David Pocock's team. It's going to be a tens tournament, which I, to be quite frank, and I don't know too much about. Watch a lot of sevens, a lot of fifteens, obviously, but not much tens. Um, big prize money uh, and uh, a big weekend. I think all those teams they expect to bring their full Super Rugby squads and have a series of, of trials in the in the region as well. Um, and uh, a big weekend of rugby in southeast Queensland following the massive weekend of rugby in Sydney. Hugh, what's your thoughts, mate? I guess first and foremost on the concept, having seen the success in Sydney, and, and secondly, any experience with tents? I've got no experience with t- – oh, I've got a little bit of playing experience, but um, very, very low level. And and it's interesting. I mean, I think the other thing, it's it's the, the company that run the Auckland Nine That's right, are, yep. are behind it and also with a potentially big cash injection from the Queensland government. Um, I don't think the AU do have much involvement in this one. It's it's interesting. I, the, I think the QRU does. The QRU yeah, has the QRU a QRU does. the AU and through there. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 interesting. I think um, it's going to be one of those ones where I think everyone is going to just sit back and and watch for the first year. I'm not willing to 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 say either way if it's going to be a success or not. I think hypothetically, tens rugby should be quite attractive. I've never seen it played at the top level like this. Uh, in a, especially in a tournament form. I'm not sure if the super teams are going to risk their top lineups in this setting or they'll use it to trial options and, and, and rest some key players. Um, I, I, I honestly don't know. And I think the Queensland Rugby Union and, and the Queensland government might be hoping it's an influx of visitors. I'm honestly not sure after the Sydney Sevens that they'll get a huge amount of travelling fans. But... Yeah, I think they should be able to get a good crowd into Suncorp in summer and it should be fun and active like the 70s and, and it should get a good TV audience. I know I'll be watching and, 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 and I, hope it's honest, I hope it's a success because, um, you know, getting rugby on the, on the, on the front pages in, in summer through that February period, it's, it's certainly a real opportunity because generally people have, have finished with cricket, the Big Bash is done and the Test Series is done and, and um, you're starting to look into rugby, and a good preseason tournament like this um, could could be a great opportunity. So um, I'm I'm cautiously optimistic, Reg. I'm not sure I'm not sure yeah. if that fits with your opinion, but um, yeah, well, look, I'm really unsure as well. To be quite frank, I watched a little bit of that club tens World Club tens championships at the the Force One, and you know it didn't grab my full attention. I still prefer the sevens as a shorter version of the game. But what what is interesting about this and what might distinguish it from the Sydney sevens the week before, and, and it goes to one of the points you make, and at least this is what they're saying on paper, is that there'll be a contractual obligation that the top five highest paid players for each of those franchises will be attending. So from um, that, that means the like of you know Israel Folau and Michael Hooper and you know I guess Samu Karevi and Carmichael Hunt. There's always got to be injuries and inverted commas that, that'll see those guys rested, I guess. But the intention is that the best guys will go. And you can be damn sure that the, the private owners down at the, the, the Rebels will be throwing their best team in it to try and get some recoup, recoup some value. And the likes of Toulon and whether the likes of Guido and Mitchell might play. Um, but the other thing in terms of that atmosphere is is I know the plans are around the activation of the streets. Caxton Street's obviously a very famous street, all the way up to the Paddo Tavern and the likes. They really want to build on that, so it's a real massive atmosphere for, for the fans to sort of come in and out and, and wander the streets of, of, of inner Brisbane there. So, yeah, intrigued, uh, uh, watching uh, with interest on this one. Matt, what are your feelings? Um, that it's going to be bloody hot in February in, in Brisbane. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, great. I mean, geez, if they can make it international, um, you know, they're talking about getting the likes of Toulon down here. That'll be interesting yeah. in, in their season. But, um, yeah, good on them. I hope it goes well. 
Yep. All right. Excellent. We'll see. Apparently, there'll be announcements in the next couple of weeks. Um, I do, you know, you know, and tens is a little more closer to fifteens and sevens. But I love the fact that I'm sure um, some of the, for instance, the Reds' highest paid players will be the likes of James Slipper and Stephen Moore. So, you know, they'll be forced to play the shortened version of the game, which I'm sure they'll just be loving. Um, brings us to the end of our um, our five burning questions. You know, I know Matt, you're banning. Um, talk of the rounds, but um, we should just point out that just the two most important ones, obviously, this weekend, most relevant from the Australian perspective at least, is that um, uh, the Brumbies will play the force uh, on Saturday night, um, and then the, the, sorry, on Friday afternoon or evening, early evening, the Blues will host the Waratahs. So, two most crucial games there, and I think the Brumbies, uh, the the Blue, the Waratahs to have a chance, really need to have a a bonus point win over there in Eden Park, um, and rely on the Brumbies um, not being so successful against the Force. So, could all be over over by 7.30, if uh, we get the same sort of result. Um, Look, before we go, um, or before we move on to the next bit, I should say, um, just f- I'd forgotten to get into our sort of customer reviews. So we are getting towards the back end of the podcast, and when this podcast ends, it would be great if you could just find a, a minute or so to go in and give us a rating on iTunes or uh, even drop a comment. But even just a rating would be great. It helps other people find the, the podcast. We've got one here um, by uh, Bevel Aqua, um, and I think it's he's given his, his name as Tomo, he says, yeah, really enjoy this podcast, even if you guys do nothing but constantly break bad news about my team, The Force. Um, <laughs> appreciate the fact that you guys exercise a decorous uh, level of independence from the broadcasters of the rugby and truly exhibit the freestanding stra- free nature that The Fourth Estate should maintain. That sounds pretty regal, doesn't it? I, uh, Hugh, do you, stand up, you attain that standard? Oh yes, yes, I, uh, decorous. That's that's one of the things that summarises the way I approach the game. Guys, guys, I've just looked it up. It means high level of decorum, with, in keeping with good taste and propriety. So, you know, just of course, I, I knew what it was, but just to make sure, yeah, <laughs> everyone else did. I'm not sure. Yeah, maybe it might not go with my sign off for the podcast. But, um, <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, thanks for that, mate. And uh, if if uh, other people can uh, get in a little bit of a review, that'd be great. Hey, and before we get, so we're about to get into our sweet lids uh, tight five. We'll run through pretty quickly um, mm. to wrap up our team. But I also, while we're doing shout outs, I think a couple of the guys from um, the rugby podcast uh, and a couple of Southern Districts guys down in uh, Sydney there have just done uh, a. Cozzy in Cozzy's climb. So they climbed Mount Kosciuszko in their Cozzies, their togs, um, to raise awareness for uh, uh, child depression and anxiety. So great work, guys. Uh, big rugby people and uh, a fantastic effort there. That, um, that was some madness. Good on them, though. Yeah. Good guys. We, had a, we had a beer with those guys, and there could be things coming soon with them as well. So um, keep your eyes out for that. Yeah, so good work, Ben, Blake, James, Michael, and Adam. Uh, huge effort. But sweet lids, guys. We've uh, we've gone from fifteen down to six, and we've got to um, you know finish off this strong. And and obviously the tight five uh, where men are men, and and you wouldn't get any of this uh, uh, this fancy Dan haircuts that we've seen in the backs. So maybe a little bit more of a challenge for us to to tie away this tight five. I don't know how we're going to map this up, but. I've got a couple of ideas. The first one, and I think we'd sort of lift it as um, Steve Murphy, but it's actually Sam Weeks who I was thinking of. Sam Weeks, the horse guy. Sam had this great, uh, you might call it an afro, not quite an afro, but the way he used to wear it almost created this mushroom effect, almost like a sideshow bob effect. Um, behind him, almost in you know, growing out the back of his hair. So, um, Sam Wikes is my nomination for one of the locks there. I thought that was a great, great lid that he had. None of the, none of the, the brill cream and all that sort of stuff, but had a great head of hair on him. Oh, mate, I tell you, did you, did you ever see the time he did the braid? And it was kind of like in a swirl on his head. Did you yes. ever see like the swirl yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. That was one sweet, sweet lid. Um, yeah, so, I mean, I, he's not actually technically on the Forces roster anymore, is he? Yeah, he's not, but no, he's, uh, not. he's qualified for Australia, so I'm, we're giving him Southern Hemisphere. Okay, I'm pretty right. sure he holds the record, and this is a record I've never actually tested um, in terms of whether it's true or not, but I think he has the record of most Super Rugby games without a Wallabies game. Most so the, the, he's Jeez, the most capped, uh-huh. uncapped player. 
Oh, goodness. Because I think he's got about 75 super caps, and I challenge you to name someone that's played more super games without being capped for the Wallabies. So that's an interesting exercise for another day. But, um, yeah. yeah. True right. That's a good one. Okay. Well, guys, if anyone's got uh, an answer to that, to that, make sure you hit us up uh, in the comments forum of, uh, of our blog post or on Twitter, obviously, at G-A-G-R, so, or on Facebook. But we want answers. Who's our most capped, uncapped uh, Australian Super Rugby player? Mm-hmm. Uh, in terms of in terms, can I throw in an, a yeah, lock yeah, that have yeah. just come to me? Um, and I'm trying to find a decent photo because he's got a lovely rat's tail, and it's Sam Lousy who oh yeah, for Atars. That um, is a filthy yeah, rat's tail. Yeah, um, yeah, a good one to throw in there. Mm. Okay, that's a good yep. one. All right. Well, I think we were scratching around for another second, Ray, weren't we? Oh, because well, we we're going to go for Big Lepetti Tamani. Yeah. Well, why don't, why don't we overrule Sam Wikes because he's no longer eligible, not long no longer being here and go big Lepetti Tamani who also has uh, manages to bring out a new haircut and there's a there's a cracker on uh, Google there with uh, almost a three-pronged compass attack uh, sticking at the top and sticking at each side as well so Tamani uh, and Lousy in the in the second row okay and so they're moving into the front row I mean uh, especially from an Aussie sp- so the problem is that you're just not seeing any sappers anymore so yes. we're kind of we're yes. kind of restricted and our Front rows these days are, are pretty whiter than white bread. Um, I mean, part, you've got now slotting in at two is clearly TPN or yep. Tatafro. Uh, Pilotta <laughs> now, as he's known, um, he's the the do yeah. is looking a little bit safer these days. But um, he's had some. I mean, in terms of a lifetime achievement award, though, that's him, isn't it? I mean, yeah, he's yeah. been outstanding yeah. for a series of years. He's done yeah. it all, and he's he's changed it up, but uh, he's kept us on our to- on our toes. But then I think we're scratching around a bit. Um, have you got – is it Tarvao that you were thinking? No, Angus Tarvao, only because he's got that skunk look as well. He's got he's – got, you talk about uh, you know, a, a back and a forwards body. He's got um, yeah, a, a back's head and a forwards body because right. this little wispy blonde uh, comb-over type thing he had earlier this season, I don't know what he's wearing now, but he's – I try not to watch too much, many Waratah games, but this, this blonde little streaked tip he had – uh, a shocker. So he he is my number three without doubt. Like a, a vanilla ice thing. But yep. when you were talking about a back and a forwards body, I think you were describing his scrummaging ability. <laughs> yes, um, exactly. Right. <laughs> um, all righty, but then that kind of leaves us for a one. And I think um, Brumby Jack actually suggested again one of these uh, South Africans that um, you know just I don't I haven't even seen. If I walked into him in the street, I, I couldn't tell you yep. who it was. But it, was it Vincent Cock of the Stormers? Yep. Um, basically it looks a bit like Uta, doesn't he? Yeah, I, I cu- I've got a couple of others on that one. Again, Springboks, because um, it seems to be where they are. We've, we've got the Campbell Magnate for, for the just gingerness. I, I, Stephen Kitsoff um, from the Stormers is is one of that. If he's, he's worth a Google. Just that flaming red hair. He's really he's, – he's been dealt a bad hand in terms of his looks, old Stephen. Um, yes. And, <laughs> um, and so that that um, <laughs> contributes to it. Uh, and, and the like other one, one, I think, and, and I'm honestly, I'm not sure where he's playing these days because I haven't, again, not not watching this the Springbok conference. But it's Kearney Oosthuizen, um, who had again a, a hairstyle as of last year that lo- looked like a, a a piece of roadkill had been frisbeed on there, um, and uh, there's a touch of the dead skunk to it. So, um, nice. and again, comically helped by the fact that. Um, He's he's got a pretty rough head as well. Yeah. So um, there's there, there are a couple of names to throw in the, to throw in there. Yeah, look, I like Kitsoff, but that's just yeah, that's ginger bashing almost. Yeah, but I think it's, it's, quite a, it's quite a normal lid. It's just it's just red, and he's it's it's the package with with Steph, Stephen. So you know, yeah, <laughs> but a good shout. <laughs> All right, so that's the sweet lids fifteen now. On Twitter, we've put out the challenge a couple of times to the egg chasers to come up with the sweet lids Northern Hemisphere 15, and they're not biting. So, you know, I, I'm going to go a little well, bit more maybe, direct. Maybe we run them against the ball. Maybe we start on the bald 15, and, and we can um, we can play them off. Okay, so the yeah. bullet the bullet 15? Yeah, so that's our next gig. Because actually, the pod chase, the, 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 the egg chasers have been doing a, a, a bit of fun with a, a – a, a front row sevens team and then a, a lock forward sevens team, which has been pretty fun to listen to too. But yeah, let's let's get the bullet team going, and uh, we might be able to challenge the egg chasers later on. Alrighty, and look, just speaking of listeners, so um, Bobus has been having a good old look at uh, some of the stats, and 
We have a very long tail, should we say, of listeners, um, people who come from f- far and wide, um, which, is, which, is, which is great. And I think we're saying the winner of our country with the least unique number of listens this week is the Netherlands with seven. So if you're listening from the Netherlands, get in touch. Drop us a comment. It could be in the SoundCloud. It could be on Twitter. It could be on the comments underneath this post. Let us know who you are, and, and we'll give you a shout-out next weekend um, just to make sure that you're a real human. And even if you have to put it into in Dutch, um, then that's fine. We can get it translated. <laughs> um, but, yeah, and then we'll, each week we'll, see, we'll, we'll have a look at um, where our most fl- far-flung listeners uh, come from because we love you all. Yep, we do. And uh, excellent. That's great, guys. Look, let's not bother going through uh, the, the the previews, uh, the tips for this round because mm-hmm. we know we're going to get it wrong and, and uh, we're going to just sit back and, and just pray. Right? Everyone hold hands and let's send out the positive vibes to our rugby team. Although we, we should make note, it is the last round for our we talked about losing a lot of players last season, but a lot of players this season, the likes of Greg Holmes and Liam Gill and Dave Dennis and, and oh. uh, Maddie Tamour and, you know, hopefully the Waratahs or at least the Brumbies will be there for another week, but the, the Rebels are losing a few too, Mike Harris and all these sorts of guys. So <laughs> we're losing even more talent from Australian rugby with Joey Timone. Joey Timone! That's my last time. I've got to say Farewell, Joey. Um, so... Um, it's a big loss, but let's wish them all the best uh, with their next uh, next stage in their career, and hopefully get them back soon. So, Matt and Hugh, thanks for your time. I think we did all right considering the the, the tough conditions. Yeah, we managed to get ourselves worked up there. It was pretty good. Yeah, yeah. that was a good one. All right, good stuff. Thanks, guys, for joining us. Bobus in the booth. Thanks for your time and all to our listeners. Uh, thanks again. Let's get behind our boys this weekend, and we'll speak to you next week. Yeah.